Okay, today we continue on our topic of your tough questions. And I want to start by asking you a question, and I want you to think about your own life and history, and and, and I want you to get your own reaction to these questions and thoughts I'm going to ask. When was the last time you had someone come to you who was just depressed or frustrated or just going through a really difficult emotional experience, and they're not the type of person who's always that way, okay? They're, They're a little more normal than always that way, right? But they came to you with a problem, a friend. Maybe, maybe, even, maybe you even had one come this last week and you can actually put a name to this. What did you do? Well, you probably were a good listener, probably asked them a few questions, if you're like me. You probably gave them a little bit of advice and said, no, you know, maybe if you try this or maybe if you do that or, you know, you probably gave them a little bit of advice and... And maybe, maybe you may have prayed for him, or you may have just offered to pray for him, or maybe you just prayed for him at dinner that night with your family around the table or before you went to bed. Now, here's what I want you to really pay attention to. Each of us has this kind of internal emotional faith meter in us. When you interacted with that person, where was that faith meter in terms of hope that Jesus, by himself, through his wisdom, could resolve their issues? Did you have a fairly, fairly high level of hope that they were going to come out of it okay and God was going to, God was going to be with them and that was, that was pretty good? Okay, now I want you to switch. When was the last time you had somebody come to you and uh, they came to you with a physical ailment like cancer or something that needed surgery and could not be fixed by anything other than surgery? Okay, we're not talking common cold, hangnails, you know, something a little more serious than that. Now, what did you do? When they came to you, well, you probably asked them a few questions. Um, if you know somebody who had that, maybe you suggested, oh, well, try this, try that, and go talk to this person. So maybe you gave them a little bit of advice. You maybe maybe prayed for them, maybe not, or maybe offered to pray for them, but, but where's that faith meter on that one compared to the previous question? Is it higher or lower? Was it easier to believe that that God by himself through an act of his presence alone without help from outside could resolve this person's frustration or or depression? Or uh, Was it easier to believe that than God could heal their physical issues? You know, before we go any further, I, I do want to say this. God gives all wisdom. God trains doctors. God gives the ability to discover stuff. You don't have any greater faith or if, if, if you don't go to a doctor, you don't have any less faith if you go to a doctor. Okay, let's just settle that issue and shove that aside for now, okay? But here's the point. Those two scenarios, those two questions do tend to betray something about where our faith is at inside of us. Do we believe that, that God can really act in those circumstances? Maybe more important... Do we approach our faith? That, that, that internal question can betray the fact that sometimes we approach our faith more as uh, we try to, let's coin a phrase, advise ourselves into transformation. Somebody comes to us with an emotional issue and we, we think we can give them wisdom and, and discernment and the, the, the revelation of Scripture and things that will change their thinking and change their... And, the, and if we just give it to them, we advise them into... If they do that and they just work hard enough, we're confident that God will transform them. But... 
but we can't approach the healing issue the same way. And can we really advise people in transformation? Is that really what this faith is all about? Is it just based upon good morality, good doctrine, good advice, and us working really hard to become a Christian, to become a good Christian? You see, when you read the Gospels, it's really interesting because you'll very rarely, if ever, see Jesus when somebody approaches Him with a need, whether it's, whether it's emotional or physical. You'll very rarely see Him start by advising them into transformation of their life. One guy puts it like this. He says, when you read the Gospels, the, the, four books, the four books in the Bible that tell the story of Jesus' time here on earth, you either see Jesus healing, you see Him coming from having healed someone, or you see Him going to heal someone. Jesus always approached people, whether it was emotional or physical issues, on the basis of experiencing His presence and His power first which really, truly brings transformation. But we too often approach life from the advice them in and work really hard to be a good Christian. Dr. Ramsey McMullen, he uh, graduated from Harvard. He was, he's a professor emeritus right now at Yale University where he taught for 26 years. In 2001, he, he taught the classics, history and the classics. In 2001, by the American Historical Association, he was given uh, the greatest honor they could give him and declared publicly at that thing that, that they deemed him the number one expert on the Roman era and the transformation of the Roman world from pagan to Christian alive today. And here's what he said about the early church. He said, the reasons the early pagans of the first few centuries accepted Christianity was not primarily doctrine or advice, which is often our primary practice today, but because of the very simple encounter with the power and the presence of Jesus himself. Even the early church fathers record this. They basically record in a number of different writings that, that there was this basic formula of how people were one to Christ, it, and, it, and it was simply this. Pagan friend is sick, talks to Christian friend who lives next door. Christian friend says to him, God is good and God can heal. Pagan friend says, well, can you pray for me? Christian friend says, sure. They're healed and their whole family's baptized. And then they figure out the doctrine of who they believe in after they've experienced him and love him. This whole thing of, of healing and physical issues and suffering this is something that you guys asked a lot of questions about. Here are some of the questions you asked. One person wrote, Where are you, God, when one person I love is going to die and you're not healing her body? It's about as raw as it gets. Another person wrote, I, understand, I don't understand why some people are afflicted with life-threatening illnesses. Another one wrote, If we don't see a specific prayer answered, is it because we don't have enough faith? And then they refer to this scripture, Ask and it shall be done doesn't seem to work very often, they say. And then we make holy excuses, holy excuses for God and say, Well, it must not have been God's will. Or here's another one who wrote in a fairly long question, saying, I'm reading the book by Jesus Culture, talking about healing and prophecy. Did anything change from Jesus being on earth and or the apostles' healing? In other words, should it be any different now than it was then? 
If we are to be like Jesus and follow in his ways, shouldn't we have that power? The same with healing or the same with prophecy? And then they end with this. I'm really confused and I'm just not sure where to stand on this. We've been talking about the problem of evil. And one aspect that we haven't dealt with, we've dealt with this whole moral concept, the idea of sin coming into the world. But one, one issue we have not dealt with yet is this whole idea that philosophers and theologians call the natural aspect of the problem of evil. This issue of accidents and disease and, and the sovereignty of God and how he interacts with all that kind of stuff. And, and the scripture is very clear that the, the moral sin caused natural consequences. In Genesis 3, 8 through 24, I, I'd really encourage you to go home and read this later. But I'm just going to summarize what it talks about as far as the catastrophic influences of the moral fall on the natural problems and the natural order of the world. It starts out by saying basically that our innocence was lost and fear came in. And we were no longer who we wanted to be, so we have to start protecting ourselves and projecting this image of who we are. And, and we're no longer authentic. We have to fake stuff and try to make sure people think we're better than we really are. And, and we're ashamed to let them know that we're not. And then it talks about the fact that the curse, this, this whole process brought on, uh, affected all of creation. It affected the animals, it affected the ground, it affected our work, and it all became more difficult. And, and, it, and it talks about how this, this fall was catastrophic in bringing upon the creation the very essence of sickness and disease, which wasn't there before. And, and there's pain in our work and pain in our life and pain in our childbirth, and there's, there's the actual thing of physical death. And there's another one there, area that it, brought, it brings up in the, in the consequences of the fall, and it's very much about our relationships. And it talks about in there how man and the, man, the relationship between the man and the woman will be different. The, the woman and the man will have desires for each other to meet needs that really, honestly, if you really look at it biblically, those needs are not able to be met through your spouse. But it'll cause tension in our relationships because we look to our spouse or we look to our mate to meet needs that only God can meet. And that's part of the fall. This whole thing substantively changed the entire created order. And yet we talked about last week the sufficiency of Christ, the fact that Christ's work is perfect. It, it's, it's, it's the answer for this issue. But it's still not done. We talked about this now and the not yet. While the battle is won, not everything is completed yet. And, and that leaves us groaning. It leaves us frustrated in this life at times with all these questions. And, and we referred to a per, certain portion of Romans 8, and we're going to look at that a little bit more right now. Romans 8.20. It says this. It says, For the creation was subjected to frustration, talking about the effects of sin, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In other words, mankind who willed sin into action, who became the creator, who acted like the creator instead of the created, who judged God, this man who the Bible says that creation was given dominion over the earth to subject it through our will, chose to disobey God and subjected creation to the frustration that we have today. But then it goes on to talk about hope, and it says, "...in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God," which really is just reflective of the fact that when we get our wills right with God, when we, get our, when we live from a, a submitted, as a creator, not the, as a created being, not the one who judges the creator to determine whether he's good enough, when we, when we live from the aspect of a repentant 
place with God, willing to obey Him in whatever He asks us to do, that we realign with Him and His Spirit comes in us and starts to restore that which was corrupted in us from the very beginning. He begins to restore the goodness that we have that He intended for us all along. And it goes on to say in verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up till this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly, pardon me, as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for everything to be made right, finally, all the way, perfectly made right. We groan for that, but it's still not here. And thus we have all these groaning questions. Did healing cease with the apostles or the early church? Was healing just something to prove that Jesus was who He said He is? And once that was proven and the church was off and running, it all went away except for very extraordinary circumstances. Or What does faith look like? The kind of faith that, that, that results in healing. Who's to blame if healing doesn't happen? What does it take to have enough faith to be healed? And if you are in the midst of suffering, if you are in the midst of something like cancer or have a relative who's suffering with something, that, that these are not just theoretical questions, but these are questions that rip at your heart. These are questions you probably pray about on a regular basis and wonder and have all sorts of emotions around. And we're going to address a lot of these questions in some way over the next, maybe the next few weeks or sometime down the road a couple months from now. But, but I want to look today, start by looking at them just simply by looking at Scripture for a little bit today. And we're going to start simply by the name of Jesus. Jesus' name simply means this, Yahweh saves. And if we understand the Hebrew mindset of the day, it's not like today. We tend to separate out mind and spirit and body, and we make them all separate things. In their day, it was all one. They talked about spirit and soul and mind, but it was all one. You could not divide it. And so their expectation was that if somebody was going to be the Savior, it wasn't just saving our spirit, it was also saving our bodies. And there was an expectation for healing. And, and we see that as Jesus goes into his hometown in Nazareth and he, he speaks in the synagogue. And there Jesus reads this, which is uh, in Luke 4, 18 through 20, which is him picking up a scroll and quoting from a passage in Isaiah prophesying about him. And, and it says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. And it's easy for us today in this world to say that recovery of sight for the blind is just a spiritual or emotional or intellectual thing. But, but for Jesus, for the Jewish mindset, for the people of the day, that meant physical healing, something very real to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus goes on and says, Today in your, in, in your hearing, this is fulfilled in me. And then he goes on, and we know the story, if you've read it before, he doesn't do a lot of miracles, he just does a few healings. And, and then uh, you look back a couple verses later, and the people of Nazareth get really angry at him because he doesn't do more healing. Because their expectation was that he would do that, like he did elsewhere. And if he is really fulfilling the scripture, then he is fully capable of doing that. And they were frustrated because their expectation was saving didn't just mean intellectual, didn't just mean my thinking. It meant everything. It meant my body as well. Isaiah 53, 4, a prophecy about Jesus says this, Surely he took our infirmities 
and carried our sorrows. And we see in Luke 9, uh, verses 1 and 2, and in, in, in 10, 1, we see Jesus sending his very followers out to go and heal people. In fact, in 10, he's sending out 72. So if we just took a couple of our sections here, it would be like Jesus saying to you, I'm going to send you out and you're going to go heal people. And in 9, verse 6, it says this was the result of the first time he sent them out. He says, so they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. And in Luke 10, 8 through 9, we get to see before he sends them out these simple instructions that Jesus gives to him, saying, this is what you are to do. If you're going to represent me and if you're going to preach me, this is what you are to do. He says, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what's set before you. Talk about practical. Just eat what's set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of heaven is near. Very simple. Not complicated at all. The kingdom of God is near us. But one of the difficulties we have with this whole thing is is all the unexplainable. How do we deal with the unexplainable? Why why do... Why why do they get healed and and not me? Or why do I get healed and not them? And why is there sickness anyway? Why did God even bring this anyway? And we blame God. And we talked about that in the blueprint view. So listen to that if you didn't hear that a couple weeks ago. And we've built theologies around our unexplainable questions. We've got theologies that have said healing ended with the apostles. We've got theologies that say that healing ended when the early church was established because all healing is about, physical healing that is, all that's about is proving that he exists. And once it was proven that he existed in the other church, then we're just left on our own and we're just, you know, healing once in a while might happen, but it's a, it's a really extraordinary thing that's not going to happen very often. But that's not biblically sound, nor is it historically sound. There's a guy I know, his name is Dr. Paul Chapel. He did his uh, graduate work, his uh, master's work at Princeton and his uh, Ph.D. At, at Drew University. And his research field was studying healing from the time of Jesus till now because he wanted to see was there enough historical record to say that historically it doesn't back up this idea that healing ended. And the reality is one of the most amazing lectures I've ever heard. I was in a lecture with him one time, and he spent two hours going from the time of Christ through every century showing that healing occurred not just in extraordinary, isolated ways, but in significant ways in every century since the time of Christ. Phil Schaefer, uh, in the month of December, did a message for us on the unexplainable versus the undeniable. And how we go through life every day making faith decisions on lots of things that we can't explain because we know undeniably that it works. I can't explain to you why this works, but I still use it. Why? Because it's undeniable that it works. And that's just a simple explanation, but we make decisions like that all the time about relationships, about business decisions, about gut feelings that are undeniable to us. And My faith journey in this whole issue of, of healing, in the midst of both experiences of seeing God heal and in the midst of disillusioning, disillusioning experiences of seeing Him not heal, began in 1966. And many of you have heard this story. Forgive me, I'm going to say it, tell it again. Not all these stories that I'm going to tell you have heard it before. 
But it began, my dad was, uh, in, in 1966, I was three years old. And my dad was a major workaholic, 32 years old. He was such a workaholic that in a little over 24 hours, he had six heart attacks. Mayo Clinic, through their testing, said that he would have permanent heart damage and that he would very likely not live past the age of 40 or 50. Three months after that, he went to a meeting where somebody who believed in healing and they prayed. He was healed, went back to Mayo Clinic. They did the tests again. They're clear. And just because he's got this ornery side to him, he decided when we were little that we'd go camping in the mountains. He decided, I'm going to climb two mountains. And these were like, we're at the bottom of a mountain in Colorado. And he says, it's that one tomorrow. There's no trail. All of us kids are going. The first time he did it, my mom freaked out because she wasn't quite convinced he was really that healed. There was a time I played a lot of basketball growing up. Sprained my ankles, both of them, multiple times. You know, if you played basketball and you've done that, you kind of lose track of how many times you sprain things. But you, but you know a good sprain when you've got it. And uh, I was playing uh, in intramurals in college. And I came down the side of a guy's foot with my right foot, and I just blew the ankle out. I heard it pop. It was loud. It was the worst pain I'd ever had. And I'd had, I'd had sprained ankles that kept me on crutches for two weeks or more in the, in the past. So this is, this is not an unfamiliar experience. I went down. It was the worst pain that I think I've ever experienced in my life. I happened to be playing with some guys who were Christians who believed in healing, and they immediately came over and prayed. And, and, and within five seconds of them starting to pray, there was this intense heat that went through my ankle and leg, and the pain was 100% gone. The frustrating part of that was is I had to wait for two minutes for them to finish praying to get up and test it. But I walked off the court with no, no pain. Absolutely no pain. Now, I don't know why this is true, but later in the day, I actually had a little bit of the pain return, but it was just minor. I still walked around. You could, I, I could walk without a limp if I was you know, strong enough, and I never missed a single basketball game there. I don't know why the, the healing wasn't 100%, but I was convinced when I went down from the loudness of the pop, I'd either broken my ankle or torn the, torn the ligament. It was so bad. And I walked off. In about 1994, 1995, my wife and I were serving in a church in Tulsa. And uh, one day this guy walks in. He's 22 years old. We find out later on the backstory that he had not been in church since 11 years old. And even then it was only because of a wedding or a funeral. I can't remember which one it was. He grew up in a non-Christian, unchurched family. His head was shaved, and you could see that he had major head surgery, brain surgery, uh, and, uh, and one of our people on staff just felt like God led him to go ask him to come up and pray because he was sitting in the back. We had a church of about 900, and he was just sitting in the back trying to hide after service. And they grabbed him, brought him up, prayed for him. We found out that that very week, the doctors through an MRI had said, your brain tumor is back. We thought we got it all in surgery, but it's back, and there's nothing we can do. And he was healed. He went back. The tumor was gone. He came, to, he came to faith in Christ. His family came to faith in Christ. There's another guy in that church that, that had, had cancer twice. The second time it came back, it was in his lungs. And he was told he was going to have to have part of his lung removed surgically and have radiation and chemotherapy. And, and he got prayed and went back, and it was all gone. There's nothing left. Still alive today, doing fine. And around 2005, 2006 time frame, 
I did a lot of work with a, a church plant that started in 2001 in Yakima, Washington, and it's doing great, doing fantastic. And did a lot of, I was there five, six, seven times a year working with their leadership team. And in their church, there was a guy named Dr. Sonny. His last name is India, India Indian and something you can't really easily pronounce, so everybody just called him Dr. Sonny. Who was interesting enough, I found out later on that he actually had done his medical residency under one of our closest friends who ran a residency in Tulsa when we lived there. But Dr. Sonny was in his office one day working, and a guy came in for a regular checkup, and, he had, he, and during his checkup, he had a heart attack. And he was actually seeing one of the other docs in the practice, and, and they, they worked on him, worked on him. His heart completely stopped. He stopped breathing. They gave up, walked out of the room more than five minutes without any heartbeat or any breath. And Dr. Sonny walked in and just prayed, and his heart started. I, you know, I don't understand it because there was also Judy who died from cancer and we prayed like crazy for her in the same church, same place. I, I don't understand all the unexplainable, but I can stand today before you and say from my experience, it's undeniable that God heals. And yet I find myself still oftentimes struggling with that same faith meter disparity that we talked about at the beginning. Sometimes the greater the distance that happens between whatever happened and now, it just seems it's easier to allow that faith meter for physical healing to go down for some reason because it's maybe been a few months or years since we've seen that happen. But it's not just me. I want on. I want to ask you here, if you, if you here personally, personally have ever been, had any ailment or physical thing healed in you personally that you undeniably would, would stand up and say, I undeniably know that was God. I want you to stand. Would you just do that if you're here? You've experienced that? Okay. Now, keep standing. Stay standing, please. I'm not going to let you down that quick. Um, if, you, uh, if you're here, other than the people who are standing, because a lot of you know all these people, okay? So let's just take the people who are standing out of the equation. If you're here and you know of somebody who you have heard the story personally from them and you just go, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God healed them. Maybe it wasn't you, but somebody else. Would you stand? Okay. Now, before we go any further, keep standing for a second, but before we go any further, those of you that are sitting, the tendency for you right now is to feel, why them and not me? The tendency for you to feel is, maybe I'm an inferior Christian. Can I just ask you to just shove that aside? Because that none of that is true. None of that is true. All I want us to do right now is look around the room. Just do it. Look around the room. How many people are standing? Not every one of these people is crazy. Right? I may be the only one. I don't know. But not everybody out here is crazy. And I would submit that there's probably, if we go around the room and interview, there's probably plenty of people standing who have had plenty of higher education that should have educated them out of believing in such fantasies as healing. There's something undeniable. And it's okay, go ahead and be seated. It's okay if you're sitting and you're still going, ah, I don't really know. That's okay. 
Don't worry about it. Don't get caught up in that. It's okay if you're, if you're still going, I'm not really sure about this. You know, John the Baptist had some significant doubt in his life. You know, if you remember the story, he baptized Jesus and, and there was this amazing experience of, of him visibly seeing this, the Spirit of God descend on Jesus as a dove and hearing God's voice say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased and confirming, confirming Jesus. But, but, you know, a year later or however long later, he's in prison and it's, and it's been a while and it's been discouraging and his faith meter has gone down just like all of ours do with normal course of life sometimes. And so he sends, sends some of his disciples to Jesus. In Luke 7, 20, it says this, When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Now at that time, at that very time when they came, it says, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, He didn't argue with them. He replied to the messengers and just said, Go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. And then he says this, which I find this very, very interesting. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of of me. Why would people, have you ever asked yourself, why would people who saw Jesus do all this stuff fall away on account of him? Why would people who saw all these healings fall away and have their faith meter go down and lose that sense of faith? I I think today it's easy for us to have that fall away happen. Because we've seen disreputable people who have have faked healings in order to try to raise lots of money and, and, and... and even for some of us, we've, we've suspected a lot of testimonies of healing because, you know, somebody said, well, I had a hangnail and it was healed. And we go, really? You sure it just didn't fall off and you're just okay? And we've got all these questions. Why, God? Why don't you do this? Why don't you heal? Why doesn't it happen all the time? Why did my baby die? Why did my mom die? Why did my sister die? Why have I had to suffer with this back issue and while while I've seen other people healed of back issues and why do I have to continue to deal with it? And it's so easy in our life to allow the unexplainable instead of it instead of the questions being something that help us be curious. They become barriers to seeing what God really has done. It's so easy for the unexplainable to trump the undeniable in our life and allow us to, to hold God off at a distance and just become a little bit less aggressive. You know, we'll be more, we'll be more aggressive to pray for somebody with depression, but if it comes to cancer, um, I don't know, God. Uh, yeah, I'll probably do it. I'll try. You see that difference? And if the healing doesn't occur and we pray for it, what do we do? How do we respond to that when it doesn't happen? Do we keep praying? Does our faith stay high? Do we keep pursuing? Do we, do we still stay open or do we just let the unexplainable stop us from our pursuit of the undeniable? And how long should we pursue it? How many times should we pray 
before we stop praying for healing for someone. You know, John Wimber, the guy who founded the Vineyard Movement, of which we fellowship with as a church, tells in his story, his personal story, that when he started praying for people for healing, he prayed for over 500 people before he saw the first one, first one healed. And I have to ask myself, what if he had stopped? Because since then there have been thousands of documented healings through him and the Vineyard Movement. What if he had stopped? You know, we're not really answering some of the questions you asked about the why questions. And in some ways, this message could feel like I'm, I'm just avoiding answering those. But I don't think there's a better answer to the questions than to refocus us on the undeniable, the fact that God is a good God who heals and has healed many among us. I don't think there's a better answer to that. In fact, I want to go a little bit further today with a little bit of application for us. I don't want to just leave it as an advice us into seeking God for healing. I'd like, if you're willing and you're comfortable doing this, I'd like anybody here who has an ailment or a sickness, I don't care if it's big or little, who would be willing to have other people pray for them. Would you... Would you would you be willing to stand? And if, if, for instance, if you're in a situation where you feel like you can't stand, just raise your hand so other people around you can see it, okay? But if you can stand, let's stand. If you can't, no problem. Just raise your hand, okay? Now, there's the one hand back there, and there's a number of people standing. Go ahead and look around, audience. Just stay seated for a minute, but I want you, I don't want you to get up and do anything, but I want you right now, I want you to pick a person that if you could pray for them, I want you to pick a person. Just look around and pick a person, okay? That's all I'm asking you to do. Now, for some of you right now, this brings up some emotional tension. It may even bring up some pain from your own experiences of frustration of not seeing healing. You may be going, I really don't know if I believe in this. Here's what I want all of us to do right now. And Andrew, you can, you can put the background stuff in so we don't have deafening silence. And if somebody sneezes, everybody who's ADD goes, who is that that sneezed? <laughs> what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to, uh, I'd like you to just be honest with God. Just start by being honest with God. If you're just really not sure about this, if you've got doubts, if you even have anger surrounding this issue, I want you right now under your breath, to tell God that honestly. And then just ask Him to lead you. Okay? Just do that. I'm going to give you a few seconds. Now, before you go pray, because I'm going to ask anybody who's willing and everybody who's willing to get up and pray for the person you, I, you, you talked about in a minute, I want you to spend just maybe a minute or so here, and I want you to ask God, is there a way that you want me to pray? And listen, maybe, maybe you'll sense that he's telling you something. Maybe you won't. That's okay. Just give him a chance for a minute or so here. And then I'll tell you what to do next to tell you how to pray. Okay? Do that.
Okay, God's not playing favorites if you heard something and somebody else didn't or if you didn't hear something somebody else did, okay? Now, what I'd like you to do next is I'd like you to just gather around the people you want to pray for. And, you know, the Bible does talk about laying on of hands. Today, um, I'm just going to discourage you from laying on hands. I'm just going to say, you know, because Jesus healed a lot of people without ever touching them. This is about just pursuing God in his presence. And just, but just gather around them. And if you felt like God gave you something to pray, pray that. If you didn't feel like he gave you anything to pray, then just gather around him and just ask his spirit to come touch him. Ask him to come and worship him. Worship God. Glorify him. Just praise him and, and just say, God, you're so good. We worship you. Just come and be with us right now and come and touch this person. Just that simple. Okay? Can we do that now? And this may be uncomfortable for some of you. I'm going to let this go on for two, three minutes, and then I'll, and then I'll say some stuff to close. But let's just, let's just do this. Okay? encourage those who are praying to just continue to pray, but I'm going to make up some, uh, give some wrap-up comments here, and we can pray as long as you want. You know, some of you may be sitting out there thinking, oh man, what kind of a church are we going to become? Because I've had, maybe I've had some bad experiences, I've seen some bad experiences with healing evangelist churches or whatever label you put on it. You know what? Here's what I know that I want to be as a church. I don't want to be a place that we advise each other and work really hard to be good Christians. I want to be a place where we know God and His presence. Because you know what? Advising ourselves in transformation just simply doesn't work. It just leaves us tired. It just leaves us empty. And I want us to be a place where we are really truly friends with faith like we've talked about, where we recognize the fact that, you know, each one of us is going to go through times when our faith meter is down. And can we be honest enough about that? That we as friends can support each other and encourage each other? And even beyond that, can we be honest enough with our questions that we can live life where we don't allow the unexplainable to keep us from pursuing God, to cause us to get disillusioned and cynical just because we don't understand it, because there is so much undeniable evidence of Him around us, whether it's physical healing or emotional healing or, or your testimonies of when God challenged you to give and, and He provided even when you thought you were going to financially go under or whatever area it is in your life. There is so much undeniable. But it's a shame for us sometimes. Not shameful in terms that we should feel feel guilty, but it's just a shame when the unexplainable prevents us from pursuing a God who does undeniable things among us. So whether we, whether we pray for a hundred days, two years, a thousand people, or two people before we see more people healed, can we just pursue the undeniable? Can we just pursue God in all of His mystery and greatness without having to be fake, without having to trump anything up, to just pursue Him?
That's all we want. That's what we want this church to be. A place where God meets us. And here's what I know from my own experience. If we can do that, a year from now we will have more people standing who have experienced healing personally. More people standing who have had a friend experience healing personally. Physical, emotional, in all sorts of ways than we had stand today. And it may not be all of us, and that doesn't mean God loves you any less if it, if it isn't you. But we'll all be able to celebrate. Let's pray. Lord, we welcome you. We welcome your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I, I say for myself, and I probably, I think many others would say this, Lord, forgive me for the times that the distance happens and I find myself hesitating or not acting to pray, to give you a chance to again show us undeniably of your great love. Lord, give us the courage to do that even when things don't make sense. Because, Lord, just because you haven't healed now doesn't mean you won't. Just because you haven't made everything right now doesn't mean someday you will not, that you won't. You will make it right. So, Lord, we just trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. And that's really the truth. Listen to this verse, Revelation 21, 3 through 5. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with, be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. He will make it all new someday. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. We talk about the now and the not yet, and we have to wrestle with that in our faith. But there's more now than we're experiencing. There's more now that God wants to do if we'll cease advising ourselves into faith and seek His presence. God bless. Have a great week.